when I uh, graduated with my master's in 1996 and, and then started in the late 90s my doctoral work. And as I was going through my doctoral work, we ended up, uh, I finished my seminars and all my reading and all my papers for all those seminars. And, and, uh, and then we moved. We moved from uh, northern Mississippi to the Atlanta area. And Julie was pregnant, and so we just have a new move. And then come the spring of 2003, we have a new baby. And our new baby, little Joshy, is a little fussy. So anyway, so he's a little colicky. And uh, so I just kind of put all school and everything just on hold. New church, new baby, Luke was seven, Joel was five, Micah was three, and then we have a newborn, and life was awfully busy and cruising along. And so I just thought, you know, I'm just going to quit. I mean, I've already done the seminars, I've learned a lot, I've had a great time, it's been a great experience. And my major professor, who is assigned to me by the seminary, called and said, hey, I want you to get back on it and get go after it. And I just kind of blew it off. So a few months later, he called me back again and said, buddy, you need to listen to me. You need to finish. Then he said this, you need to finish because of you. You'll regret if you don't do this. But you also need to finish because your wife and your kids need to see you finish. You've started this, you've gotten into it, they need to see you finish. Because there's going to come a time in your boys' lives where they're going to want to quit. They're doing something and it gets really hard and they're just going to want to quit. And you've got to be able to tell them with a sense of history and authority, don't quit. And then he said, and your church needs to see you finish. So it's like, ah. Then I made the mistake, a few days later, I called my mom and said, Mom, I'm really just thinking about just kind of punting on this. I mean, I don't care about a title doctor anyway. I mean, think of this, doctor, buddy. That sounds like an oxymoron, don't it? I mean, that, those two things don't even go together, mom. I, there's just really no need to finish. It's, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm fine. And she said, you are going to finish. Your last name is Perstrope. You do not quit. You are going to finish. After that conversation, I knew I needed to set my mind and my priorities on finishing. And so, late fall of 2004 into 2005, I uh, wrote and wrote and uh, tried to juggle everything and, and finished and walked in 2006 uh, with my Doctor of Ministry degree. You know, setting our mind to something is essential. In our life and in our world... The Bible challenges us to set our mind not on things of the earth, but on things of heaven. With everything buzzing around us and all the distractions and temptations around us, with all going on and all the busyness around us, Paul challenges us to be people who have their minds set on things that are above. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to pick up in verse number 1 as we're continuing our study through the book of Colossians together. Colossians chapter 3 in verse number 1. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. With that, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today and challenge us to be all that you have for us to be? Lord, you know where every person is. You know what's going on in their mind. You know the distractions and the allurements. Lord, you know the challenges and the trials and the sorrows and maybe the the hidden hurts that many are carrying today. So God, would you speak to us and out of your grace and kindness and love, show us, instruct us, challenge us, encourage us to be people who are focused on you in your name. Amen. As we open the book of Colossians, we find in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 16, Jesus is the central theme because it says that all things were made through him and all things are made for him. So all things were made through him and for him gives us the picture that we are here for Jesus. It is all for Jesus. That's kind of the theme as we're going through the book of Colossians. It's all for Jesus. It's not about us and, and me primarily. It's all for Jesus. So as we open the book of Colossians, we find that Paul shares an introduction in the first 18 verses, our first eight verses, and then verses 9 through 14, he begins to pray for this church. He prays that they will know God's will. He prays that they will do God's will. He prays that they will know God's will and do God's will with joy and thankfulness. And then in Colossians 1.15, Paul begins to tell us about Jesus. This is a doctrinal section. It tells us that Jesus is the creator of all things. It calls us and to, to look and focus on Jesus as the sustainer of all things, who holds everything into place. Then in Colossians 1, 19 through 24, it challenges us to see Jesus as the reconciler. He is the only one who can bring a sinful man into a relationship with a holy God. Jesus is our creator. He's the sustainer. He is the reconciler. Then we move into Colossians chapter 2 and Paul says, look, I don't want you to, to fall to philosophies and these vain deceits and these Uh, that people are teaching, but understand that Jesus is fully God. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is fully God and fully man. So what Paul is drawing out is saying, look, Jesus is creator, sustainer, reconciler. He is fully God. He is fully man. And this is what I want you to know. Jesus is the only way of salvation. There is not anyone else and there is not anything else that can get us into a relationship with God and allow us into the presence of God, but Jesus alone. It is not about the religious things that I have done, the classes that I have attended, the the Lord's Supper or baptism that I have taken. It is not about all of this stuff I bring to the table. Paul is driving home that it is all about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is that central theme of Colossians 1 and 2 as he drives home and says, Jesus is the way of salvation. Jesus is fully God, the creator, the holder of everything together in our universe. So understand that. That's where he begins. Then in Colossians chapter 3, after dealing with all of this doctrine surrounding the person of Jesus, Paul then is going to say, now, after all of this doctrinal section, I want you to understand the application. What do I do now with this theological truth that I hold? 
So he begins a section, chapters 3 and 4, that are going to say, because you know this, now this is how I want you to live. Because you see Jesus as this, this is how you're to demonstrate that in, in your life. Because you understand this, your life is to be lived and thought through and seen and, and your speaking and actions, they're all to be different now. That's what he says. He says in Colossians chapter 3, he says, if then you've been, you, you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the world. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he says, and when Christ appears, Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's setting out this application. says, now that you know about Jesus, now you need to understand and follow through this way. So I want us to think about three challenges. Because we know who Jesus is, this is where we start. First off, we need to recognize our union with Jesus Christ. We recognize our union. He says this, if then you were raised with Christ... That picture of if can mean since. It's the same Greek word, if or since. Since then you were raised. He basically says, since you have understood salvation. Now let's pick out these words very carefully. You were raised with Christ. Now as we think about those key words, you were raised with Christ gives us the picture of salvation. You were raised. The picture is, is that when we didn't know God, we had these sins attached to our life, we were spiritually dead, and now we were raised with Christ. That just as last Sunday, we celebrate that Jesus is alive. At that moment of salvation in my life, I experience a new life. I am raised with Christ. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, the picture is, is that I'm raised to experience a new life in Christ. I am forgiven. I am uh, uh, now clean. I've had the past wiped out. I have been raised with Christ. You were raised. So that the picture is, is that that moment of salvation in your life where you come to understand Jesus, it's not, it's that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that, that that picture happens in your life as well. You have a new life and you were raised. Then he says uh, in this passage, you were raised with Christ. Here's our picture of our union. You were raised with Christ. Our union is this, that just as Jesus came out of that grave, you came out of your place of death and experienced new life as well. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away, and behold, all things are new. Now, he pictures this back in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 12 in the picture of baptism. In Colossians 2.12, he says this, We're buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And then he goes in verse 13, the verse we looked at last week. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive. That picture is is what baptism shows. We baptize by immersion. 
because we think that this is the best and most accurate picture of what Jesus did for us. So this is what we believe. After someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ and receives Jesus, they have this life, but God takes that old life and buries it. He forgives them of everything that they've done. Now, this is symbolic. This is not that the waters of baptism do anything. This is symbolic. That, that, that you go under and you're put in a grave and then you come back out. Because that pictures exactly what Jesus did for us. That he died and was buried and rose again. So my union with Christ is, is just as Jesus came out of that grave, then I come out of the, the waters of baptism in a symbolic picture as a new creation. God has buried my old life. I've come to a new life. We sang this morning, I ran out of that grave. The picture is, is I was dead in sin, but now God's taken that old life and buried it, and now he's given me a new life. That's why when we were dead in our trespasses in Colossians 2, 13, he has made us alive. The picture is, is in Christ, we are spiritually alive. We are spiritually forgiven. We now have the righteousness of Jesus put on our account. So you were raised with Christ, that's a salvation. You were raised with Christ. That's a picture of our union. But you were raised with Christ. That's a picture of our identification. Now, because we have been raised with Christ, then I identify with the person of Christ. I'm a new creation. Jesus is now in my life. I have a new life in him. I'm new. And I'm in Christ. I'm working on our devotionals through the book of Acts right now. And in Acts chapter 11 and verse number 26, it says that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. What's happening? Well, they know about Jesus, these folks in, in uh, Antioch. They know about Christians. But now they're seeing these disciples acting and showing love and kindness. And speaking words of truth, just like Jesus did. And so now they call them Christians. They were identified with Jesus Christ. That's the picture. Our identity is wrapped up in who he is. That's a picture of our union. So you were raised with Christ. Now notice, we're raised is past tense. So there came a moment when each of these people who are reading this letter came to a personal recognition of their need of Jesus for salvation, and they received Jesus in their life. You may have done a lot of religious things, but if you've not received Jesus Christ in your life as the only one who can forgive, as the only one who can save because he went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sin and rose again, then can I tell you, you're not raised. You might be in church, but you're not raised because you haven't experienced salvation yet. But think about that. Think about a new life of being forgiven, of being united with Christ and being called a believer, a follower of Christ. We recognize your union. If then you were raised with Christ, now he turns that corner and says, okay, this is how you're supposed to live. And he tells them that they are to respond with a focus on the things of Christ. If then you were raised with Christ, set your, uh, uh, seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he says, set your mind on things above. You know, there's lots of people who have their minds on lots of things in this world. 
And there are some very talented and creative and business savvy people in this world that they have set their mind to do some great things and they have done them. I heard the story years ago, but I, I just ran across it again this week of a meeting that took place in, ni- in the 1920s. It actually took place in 1923 in Chicago. Now listen to who was at this meeting. There were at least nine people there, and these are the nine that we know of that were there. The president of America's largest steel company, the president of America's largest utility company, the president of America's largest gas company, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, the nation's greatest wheat speculator, the nation's greatest bear and speculator on Wall Street, the head of the world's greatest monopoly, and a member of President Harding's staff. All of these folks are gathered for a meeting in Chicago in 1923. Someone did a study and looked at the life of these men for the next 25 years, and this is the conclusion that they recognized for these men 25 years later. President of America's largest steel company, Charles Schwab, died penniless. President of America's largest utility company, Samuel Insull, died uh, penniless. Actually, Schwab died bankrupt. This guy died penniless. President of America's largest gas company, Howard Hobson suffered a mental breakdown. President of the New York Stock Exchange, Roland Whitney, was just released from prison. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, had taken his own life. The nation's greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Colton, had died penniless. The nation's greatest bear and speculator on Wall Street, uh, Jesse Livermore, had taken his life. The head of the world's greatest monopoly, Ivar Kruger, had taken his life. A member of President Harding's cabinet, Albert Fall, was given a pardon from prison so that he could die at home after being uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness. Isn't it amazing? 25 years later, these guys 25 years previous looked like they had it all. They met together to talk about their business, to talk about savvy, to talk about the future, to talk about growth and production and making more money and having more influence. And 25 years later, these guys all step into eternity. And the picture is, is they didn't know how to live life. They didn't know how to live. They knew how to make money. They knew how to run corporations, but they didn't know how to live. And the picture for us is, understand, there might be some people out there that you're emulating and you're envying, and understand that that we as believers are to come to a place where we are focused on the things of the Lord. We focus on him. Now, he gives us the challenge. He tells us, if you were raised with Christ, then... Seek those things which are above. That challenge is, is that we're to, to seek uh, the, the, those things which are above. Seek those. In other words, the, the picture is, is that we are to, to seek heaven. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Seek a, a spiritual life. Seek a healthy spiritual walk with the Lord. Seek to show the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and kindness with others. Seek eternal things, not just temporal, material things. So he says, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Look in eternity future and look up now and look at your life and think, what am I really investing in? And then he says, to set our mind on things above, not on things of the world. In other words, as we set our minds, he gives us the picture that we are not only to seek heaven, but we are to think heaven. 
J.B. Lightfoot in his commentary said, this is exactly where Paul is going with this. That we are to seek the things that are above. Jesus in Matthew 6, said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'll take care of everything else. All these other things will be added unto you. And then Paul says, look, I want you to set your mind. Set your focus. See, you can die with a million dollars or two million dollars or ten million dollars, but you're still going to die and you're going to step into eternity without holding on to any of it. Matter of fact, some of those prized treasures that you have and some of those awesome possessions that you think are just wonderful that you've spent a lot of time with and you've spent a lot of money on, your kids might just look at one day and say, "Uh, goodwill, we'll send it down the road. Ah, yard sale, estate sale. We'll just open a garage up and let them go through mom and dad's house. Okay? But we, these were treasures to us. But the picture is is how, how these things are just temporal. And Paul is saying, look, I want you to think about things that really last for eternity. Things that are eternal. Things that matter for life. Things that matter for eternity. Because we don't get to leave with any of this. You, you entered into this world empty-handed, and you're going out the same way. So the picture is, is we need to respond with a focus on the things of Christ. There's the challenges. That challenge is to, to seek things that are above and set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the world. Now listen, there are things in the world that you have to take care of. I mean, we've got bills to pay, we've got to go to jobs, we've got uh, school to do, we've got to encourage and, and lead our family through. We have to do all of those things. But the picture is, is central to my focus, is I'm doing all of these things mindful of Jesus in my life. I'm doing all of these things with the priority of Jesus in my walk. I'm doing all of these things as a, as a desire to extend what the Lord has done in me and now doing through me to impact people for him. That's the picture. The challenge. But as we think of the challenge, he gives us the reason why we should do this. Notice in verse number three, he says, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There's this, there's this past reality that at that moment that I received Jesus, I died to some of those things in my past. The reason? You died. You've experienced a, a, a death. There's this reality that when I said yes to Jesus, I'm saying, look, I'm not going to make all these things my priority. I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to make these things uh, the, the focus of my life. And matter of fact, because I'm dead to that, I'm dead to all those things I've done wrong too. I don't have to fish up those sins of my past. I don't have to pay penance over things that I've done. Jesus paid it all. There was a death. All those old, ugly things in my life are left behind. Some of you are holding on to things that you've done 20, 30, 40 years ago. And the Lord says, look, you need to take it to the cross and you need to let it go and let it go forever. Finally, just let it go. Die to it. Say, I'm not bringing that up anymore. I'm dead to that. And then he gives that picture, not only of the past, but then he gives that picture of the present. And he says this, Now your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a picture. 
my life is united with Christ, but it is hidden with Christ. I love the picture that Jesus gives in John chapter 10, verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And he says, and I give unto them eternal life. Eternal life is something that you can have right here, right now. And then he said, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So once we come to know Jesus as our Savior, the picture is is that no one can pluck them out of Jesus' hand. This is what he says. For my Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can pluck them out out of his hand. So Jesus says, look, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus says, I've got a hold on them. And then he says, and no one is able to snatch them or pluck them out of my Father's hand. It's as if Jesus puts his hand around us, and then God the Father puts his hand around us and says, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are absolutely secure in life and you are secure for eternity. It's going to be okay. I am going to see you through. Now, this reminds us not only of, of our, this present reality, but because I'm living like this in Christ, in God, it should show through how I live as well. Which brings us to our third thought. So we, we recognize this union. I've been raised with Christ. I respond with this focus. I set my mind on things above. Listen, as you get into your Bible and, and you think about, uh, especially if you would just take a few moments in the morning just to think, today I'm going to think about the things of God. And as I walk through my day, maybe having a verse in, in your pocket, I had a... Uh, Height of scan this week. My gallbladder's been acted up a little bit. And uh, the guy said something to me. I said, man, I've got me a Bible verse right here in my pocket. And you know what it was? Colossians 3, 1 to 4. I had it written out on a note card in my pocket when I was having that, uh, that scan this week. Why? Because it was important. I wanted to be thinking about that. So respond by setting your mind on the things of God. And then thirdly, verse number four, we need to be ready for the return of Christ. So I'm getting to this point where I, I recognize my union with Christ. I'm responding with a focus on the things of eternity in Christ. But I'm ready now if Jesus does come. When Christ, who is our life, appears, that gives the picture Jesus is coming, then we'll be with him in glory. So we see this, this, present, this present truth. Christ is our life. Have, have you ever seen anybody or heard anybody say something like this? Yeah, man, they, she loves dance and cheer. Dance and cheer is her life. Sports is his life. I mean, he's playing sports, constantly doing sports. School and learning and education, that is their life. Band, their instrument, learning all the instruments, focusing on all, that is their life. Here, the Bible tells us when Christ, who is our life, it's fine to do all of those other things, but understand that our real focus is going to center around the person of Jesus because our life has been changed. See, I, I, I look around and, and we can get pulled in so many, so many good things that we miss the best, our present. Jesus is our life. But then he gives future hope when Christ who is our life, appears, then we'll be with him in glory. Jesus is coming. The future hope that we have is that Jesus is coming. Revelation 1-7 says, Behold, he is coming quickly. He is coming with clouds, a picture of the glory of God and quite possibly the judgment there of God. Jesus is coming. 
The truth is, is this. One of two things is going to happen to all of us. Either Jesus is going to come and those who are ready for him are going to meet him, or we are going to go. He's coming or we're going. We're not staying here forever. That, that's just the way it goes here on earth. We're, we're either going to experience his coming or we're going to be going. And so because of that, we need to live life, life in light of that. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we want to be ready for him, so we're going to have a focus on the things of him so that when he shows up, I'm not surprised. I'm not scrambling. This is not a pop quiz. Jesus is coming. Get ready. Be prepared. He's not surprising this on us because he's told us many times throughout the Bible he is coming. So the picture is, is every day I need to be wake, wake up and I need to remain focused on him and be prepared for his coming because one day he is. Julie left Thursday to go to Branson with her parents. And so, uh, you know, I, I knew that when she got back Saturday night, it would, she would be tired after uh, spending that time there with them and hanging out and uh, going to Silver Dollar City, those kind of things. And uh, so I thought, I am going to be ready when she comes home. So uh, the movie Aladdin, y'all familiar with the movie Aladdin where he takes Jasmine on the carpet ride? I will show you the world or whatever he's saying. So anyway... I made a video for my wife. Now, I, I, I really debated last night whether to put this on last night or, or put this on the screen or not. I decided not to because I thought someone will use this against me sometime later in my future. Uh, but uh, I did send it to, the wife, my, uh, to Julie and the boys. And so I'm at the, the uh, dishwasher and I can say, I can show you my world doing dishes. And then I run over into the laundry room and laundry. We have a light in our pantry that has been flicking for the last few days. I said, I click the light on and it starts flicking. I said, you know, the light is flicking and my girl is missing. How can I go on? You know, so anyway, it was really, it was really great. Uh, the, the picture with, with that is, is I wanted to make sure the light was done, the dishes were done, the laundry was done, and even a little further than, than when she left. I wanted to make sure everything was ready because I knew that she was coming home. So last night, I knew that she would be home around 9 o'clock, and so I'm studying upstairs in my room, and I came downstairs at 9 o'clock, and I flipped the light on in the garage because, you know, the little light on the garage door opener is not real bright, so I clicked the light on, and when she, I heard the garage door open, I went outside and I grabbed bags and helped her carry stuff in. Why? Honestly, just to be honest with you, she was talking to Luke on the phone, so it was kind of underwhelming to her. I just wanted to say, la, 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 you know, uh, but uh, she was just talking to Luke on the phone and kind of preoccupied at the moment. So anyway, but uh, the, the picture is, is I wanted to be ready when she walked in the door. I wanted to be ready. Now, the picture here is, is that Jesus is coming, and we need to be ready. We're ready first when we have that personal relationship with him. We're raised with him. We receive him in our life, and we're ready as believers as we stay focused on him until that time that he comes, because he is coming. When Christ, who is our life, appears, he's coming. He's coming. And we're going to find in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and following, he's really going to challenge us. In light of his coming, he wants, to live us, he wants us to live a holy life. 
There's some things that we need to take off in our life and, and leave in the past. The picture is, is we need to be ready. I used to hear a saying when I was a kid. I don't think, I've not heard people say this in a long time. But I used to hear them say it. It was this. This person is so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Have you heard that statement before, some of you? Yeah, all of us older, over 50 have heard that statement before, okay? People used to say, that person's so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Can I tell you, that's exactly wrong. Most people are so earthly minded, they're no, no heavenly good. But the Lord wants us to be heavenly minded, so we will be earthly good. And that will make a difference. We're seeking the things that are above, the things that matter, the things that are spiritual, the things that are eternal. And because of that, on that day when he comes, we'll be ready. So my question is, where's your mindset? Are you ready?